Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have a returning guest today. Jonathan Robinson is back on the show. If you remember, he had that incredible book about enlightenment that we talked about last year. Actually, it's been a, it's probably been like a year and a half. Incredible book. He's back now to talk about his most recent book, Ecstasy as Medicine, How MDMA Therapy Can Help You Overcome Trauma anxiety and depression and feel more love wow what a title right super cool we're gonna talk to him in just a second but first follow me on instagram if you have not done that already at midnight underscore on underscore earth that is the address you can follow me there spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us. So when people come on with these amazing things to share, you get that notification instantly to wherever you get that. So also tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. You know what they need to know. They're in your circle, in your life for some reason. Bring them here. Midnight on Earth. Okay, so we're just about to talk to Jonathan, but we have to read his bio. So here we go. Jonathan Robinson is a psychotherapist, best-selling author of numerous books, and a professional speaker from Northern California. He has reached over 200 million people around the world with his practical methods, and his work has been translated into 47 languages. His work has appeared in Newsweek, USA Today, and the Los Angeles Times, as well as dozens of other publications. In addition, Mr. Robinson has made numerous appearances on The Oprah Show and CNN, as well as national TV talk shows. He has spent more than 30 years studying the most practical and powerful methods for personal and professional development, and is also the host of the popular podcast show, Awareness Explorers. Jonathan Robinson's first book, The Experience of God, includes interviews with such notable people as the late Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama Louise Hay, and over 30 other well-known seekers. Jonathan's second book, Life's Big Questions, became a New York Times bestseller, as did his book, Communication Miracles for Couples. Mr. Robinson's other books include Instant Insight, Real Wealth, Shortcuts to Bliss, Shortcuts to Success, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Awakening Your Spirituality, Find Happiness Now, Conversations with Dog, I love that title, The Little Book of Big Questions, The Enlightenment Project, which we talked about last time he was here, and his latest, of course, Ecstasy as Medicine. Again, how MDMA therapy can help you overcome trauma, anxiety, and depression, and feel more love. And 
Also, by the grace of the divine, he's here with us today. Hello, Jonathan Robinson. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jake. Good to be back on your yeah, show. Yeah, it's good. That to was see a long you intro. Uh, yeah, I, you got I, a lot I, to I, live up to now. I know. I better <laughs> really do it. Uh oh. <laughs> That's okay. Look, your presence here is a miracle and amazing. You're already doing everything right now. So, last time we talked about your incredible book, The Enlightenment Project. What a book that was. And it seems like since then, this awareness of the importance of enlightenment has just been taking off. It's everywhere now. People are talking about it. There's a bubbling in the subconscious of humanity itself. Enlightenment is happening. It's amazing. Do you see that? You know, I, I don't have a good perspective on that because all my friends are into it, but they've been into it for the last 40 years. So um, I, it's good to hear that that's going on. I hope so. Uh, it we is. sure need it. It is because I have guests that are from all over the world and some are younger, some are older, some are new, some are professionals in various fields, and they're all talking about this. In addition, I get letters, well, digital letters, emails, Instagram messages from people that are also experiencing this now and it's unfolding. It's just magical. It's amazing. That's great. And, you know, I definitely have seen that with the psychedelic thing, you know, uh, 40 years ago, I got my master's on how MDMA, which, you know, is also known as ecstasy or Molly, uh, cured PTSD, but I didn't want, uh, and then two weeks later they made it illegal. So I didn't want to pursue that in a uh, outward form, although I've been leading journeys ever since. And finally, uh, the world is catching up and realizing that this is really good medicine. The FDA plans to make it a legally prescribed medicine in 2024. They've never done that in its history, taken an illegal medicine and made it legal. And so it's an exciting time with, you know, ecstasy and psilocybin and all these other things. There's a big renaissance and that's, that's really exciting. Yes. The psychedelic movement has moved forward. The goals that seemed so far away and abstract just 20 years ago are yeah. 10 years ago are now coming into form. It's absolutely beautiful when you know the therapeutic and healing properties of these compounds. You know the ripple effect that it's going to have on humanity as the stigma and the negative energy is removed from the experience and people are actually allowed to have that and heal and grow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when it's made uh, a medically prescribed drug. And uh, I teach a course to coaches and therapists on how to lead this type of therapy. And hundreds of people have taken that course now. Yes, I do know that you do offer that a facilitator course, but I want to back you up a little bit. You've been doing this for 40 years. And like you said, you did your thesis, is that right? Your college thesis on the effects of this while it was still legal. I was wondering when reading your book, where did you procure that when it was legal to conduct that study? Well, I was at UC Santa Barbara and when it was legal, you could just get it, you know, various places. It wasn't uh, uh, something that you had to go to a dealer for, <laughs> uh, 
But of course, then when they made it illegal, it was very hard to get. And also the the um, purity went down. So when people have a hard time on this drug, it's usually not because of the drug ecstasy. It's usually because it's been mixed with speed or bath salts and such. So uh, when it becomes legal again, I think people have much better experiences because they'll be able to actually get the real stuff. Yes, I've kind of made a distinction in my personal life that I'm going to wait until I know exactly where it's coming from before I personally partake in those substances again. Because what I noticed in the underground is that there were a lot of research chemicals being passed off as ecstasy that had dopamine boosting effects, serotonin boosting effects. So in a sense, it was like close, but it wasn't that. And people don't Mm. really know what they're getting now, though there is ways to test these things. Yeah. In the book, uh, Ecstasy is Medicine, I talk about where to get a test kit and, uh, and, and also, you know, even ways to procure it that are pretty safe and you know what you're getting. Right. Because it's very important. There are ancillary chemicals that get added to these things as they go out for mass production in these kind of underground ways. Sometimes there's amphetamines added. Sometimes there's other things that you just don't know. And that's the most important part. Like you said, the bath salts in this in the worst case, you just don't really know. And it's so important to be careful of what you put in your body because it yeah. negative things can have a big impact. Absolutely. And uh, besides potentially being dangerous, it also don't feel very good. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can attest to that myself from my own personal experiences. So you got into this 40 years ago. When did you hone your training in such a way that you felt like you had a really successful formula with that medicine? Uh, well, actually, it's been since COVID. You know, I was as a therapist, I would do these journeys in my office. You know, I, I'd give five hours to clients, and uh, and they'd have amazing experiences. We'd cure them of things like trauma in a day, or couples issues. You know, couples that look like they couldn't stand each other, they'd be back in love. Um, and then, you know, a week later, I'd do an integration session. It was very effective, but when COVID hit, um, you couldn't, you know, have people in your office. So as a as an experiment, I tried to do it over Zoom, and to my surprise, it went even better over Zoom. Right, and I still haven't figured out why. Uh, although I do have theories, but it seems like Zoom allows it people to take the medicine in their own home in favorable conditions where they're very comfortable. And there's not, you know, when, when you're going into a stranger's office and taking a medicine that you barely know who the stranger is, uh, in this case, me, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's like too much intimacy, you know, but on zoom, uh, there's a feeling of control and safety and people want to explore their issues and it just works out really well. And it's very convenient. So that was a real breakthrough. And then I developed a, a integration protocol that allowed people to take the insights that they were gaining and consistently change their behavior 
in a way that worked for their life. And most psychedelic therapies don't focus on that integration. So when I created that as part of it, the results were just outlandish. And and uh, that's why I'm booked up uh, many, many months in advance currently. <laughs> that's amazing. And I will say that the integration mm-hmm. is absolutely the most critical components. How could it not be? Because you go to these places, you open your heart, you're there with your own self and divine love. And if you walk away from that and just go, okay, back to the matrix, back to my normal behavior patterns, back to the paradigms that I just am used to dealing with, then what was the point of that? You have to integrate that. That's why you're there. It's there to change you. You're there to be healed. It seems like that would be the most foundational component. Yeah. And the psychedelic movement really has not found a, a system that works uh, well and is part of their, their you know, protocol where I've been doing this protocol and really tinkered with it for a long time to see what worked and what didn't. And uh, so I have a motivational method that takes four minutes a week and if people do it. They will do all those things that they say they want to do that they normally didn't do. And um, it really makes a huge difference. Yes, it does. And I will say that when I read your book and you talked about how you were having more success with these Zoom sessions, I started to think about why that might be. And in my own intuition, my from my own perspective, it seemed like having another human's energy, even a benevolent, loving shaman in the same room with you while you're having that experience creates kind of like a symbiotic energetic synthesis happening. There's like energy moving between two bodies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and having it just be a psychic ethereal connection still maintains the healing aspect, but then kind of removes the information that's coming from the physical being that's in the same room. That's just kind of what I thought when I read that. Yeah, that could be. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, A lot of my clients have had sexual abuse and going into a stranger's office and especially a woman and saying, you know, lie down on the couch while uh, you take this medicine to heal your sexual abuse. That's a big <laughs> ask. I, I, I wouldn't want to oh do God. that. No, that's because it's sensitive. That's the thing. You talk about this in your book, the importance of things like set and setting, because it is a powerful psychedelic psychedelia the word psychedelic meaning mind manifesting this is a powerful mind manifesting drug so you have to be so careful it's like it's like you're 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 trying to balance a bubble you know you're keeping this bubble afloat in the air and you can't let the bubble pop that's how intense it is so i can see that for some people their first time they're they're Mm -hmm. dealing with their past traumas that could be rough yeah And one of the great things about this medicine is it makes it so people want to go into their issues. Yes. You know, whether it be trauma or anxiety or depression or relationship stuff, it, um, you know, it's not called ecstasy. uh, It's called ecstasy for a reason. It feels really good. And it just makes it easy to handle these things. Whereas normally if you go to a therapist, it can take months or years to handle stuff like that. Right. And you do point out in your book in relation to another book about how anxiety, depression, 
it's a byproduct of traumas. And people wonder why they have even physical ailments. They wonder why they have these issues that they can't seem to get help for. It doesn't seem to go away, but they're not realizing that the root of it is the trauma that happened. And if they can go and heal the trauma, then the byproduct of the trauma is gone. The anxiety, the depression, and all those other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. And I also use it for um, spiritual enhancement. You know, everybody wants more love, joy, and peace. And while on a journey, I kind of ask people, well, what's in the way of this experience of joy, love, and peace you're having now? And we kind of pinpoint those things and try to uh, disperse them so that people can have more joy, love, and peace without the medicine. Right, because it takes you back to that state of pure divine love egoless divine love and you know that when you're there that that is your natural state so you want to realize that in, in a yogic type way like maintain that somehow yeah yeah and i call that love training it's uh, like getting training wheels to help you feel that love and then you finally learn how to get there on your own yes it's powerful so do you feel like you should only be working with MDMA. What about MDA? Because I've heard that that is similar, but different. I've personally only tried that a couple times in my life. Seems like MDMA is more prevalent. What are your thoughts on that? Well, everybody's different. So uh, they are very similar. And some people say MDMA lasts a little bit longer. Um, some people say it's more intense. Some people say less intense. Uh, I tend to work with the MDMA just because it is a little bit shorter. It's four to five hours rather than five to seven hours. Um, but people's bodies do react differently to different things. You know, for some people, alcohol is a, a fun, you know, loosen up type of drug. And for other people, it's an addictive hell. You know, you have to find what works for you. Right, right. So you're saying that they're similar enough that Let's say a person is listening and they want to try this therapy, but their therapist or whoever is facilitating them only has MDA. You feel like that is similar enough that it would function in the same way. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think that it's very hard to tell them different, even if you've tried both. Right, right. It is. It's interesting. It's like a different frequency, but so close that it mm -hmm. is, again, hard to tell. I think it's amazing that you've utilized this therapy for 600 individuals, probably over now, and over 150 couples. Wow. Like, what do you do to discharge that energy once you take on so much of these other humans' lives, their stories, their loves, their passion, and you're the middle person? You're just like the, the, the circuit for that. And then they heal and move on. What do you do to discharge that? Um, well, it's actually harder to do when I'm seeing people in person. Uh, over Zoom, I find that um, I get a contact high, so there's not much to discharge. Uh, you know, what's interesting to me is that people on MDMA don't have a hard time being on Zoom for four or five hours. Uh, they 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 never ask for a break. You know, they don't even go to the bathroom. I usually ask for a break, you know, somewhere <laughs> in between. Um, but uh, it just feels 
very honoring and and um, uh, sacred to guide people to places so quickly. You know, I'm I'm kind of a very impatient psychotherapist. You know, people <laughs> come into my office and they you know have a, a some kind of issue. I found I used to have to give them six months or a year of empathy and understanding before I could give my opinion or advice or really work with what the issue was. With MDMA, I do that, you know, in the first 30 minutes. And um, I'm actually much better suited for that. And uh, it works better because it's actually easier to change quickly than change slowly. You know, if you have an issue and you go week after week for a couple of years to a therapist, there's no incentive at any point to like, okay, let's, let's get over this. You know, you kind of like talking about your life to a therapist. The therapist is trying to keep you there because they make more money doing that. (laughs) Whereas with the ecstasy, um, you know, okay, we're going to, it's like, it's more like the surgery model, you know, you don't go to surgery every week for two years, you know, hoping that your knee or shoulder's better. You go in once to the hospital, they take care of it in a five-hour surgery, and you then, you know, go home and hopefully your knee is, is healed. And um, it's actually, I think, a more effective model in terms of people healing from disease or healing from a psychological challenge. I think so too. You really do have to have the tsunami of love and affection and the downloads. All of those things can just push the trauma away. But there is the component of the mapping of synaptic pathways. They say that it takes two weeks of different behavior to remap your synaptic pathways to change a habit. So if someone has a relationship habit where there's negativity happening or arguments or things like that, and then they have an ecstasy session, they blow that out of the water. They heal so quickly. How do you then make sure that the habits don't remap themselves in that way? Mm -hmm. Is that the integration part? Well, one of the things they're learning with the psychedelics, including ecstasy or MDMA, is that it opens up what's called a critical learning period, where people are much more open to new learning and new behavior. And that's been a really important discovery. Um, so what I do is, at the end of a session, I we agree on one or two changes of behavior or, or practices that will help them. Uh, move forward in whatever their issue was. And uh, about a week later, I have an integration session. And in that integration session, I give them this motivation technique to make sure that they maintain these changes uh, over time. So there's a whole system involved in changing people's behavior or their attitudes or their practices. Let's say they want to meditate but they haven't been able to do that. Well, we, we make sure that they have the method. We um, have the motivational method that uh, gets them motivated to do it. And on the integration session, we create accountability either through me or one of their friends to make sure that they keep doing that uh, from, from that point forward. 
to keep those habits from reforming. That's amazing. And I did notice in your book, it was, it was at the two week mark that you really make sure to keep that going, which kind of yeah. correlates with what biologists say the synaptic pathways mm-hmm. need to remap. That's absolutely amazing. So this is spreading now. The legality of this is like we said earlier, mind blowing. What people would go to jail for just recently not that long ago in human history, is now open and prevalent. Places like Seattle, it's totally legal. Not the state of Washington, it's decriminalized, but the city of Seattle, here where I am in Portland, Oregon, it's decriminalized. You see these bills happening across the country. Colorado is another state. What do you think is going to happen as this gets out more? Do you see that ripple effect that we were talking about taking shape? Well, it's like the medical marijuana thing. Uh, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug federally, which means that they can put you in jail for 10 years. Jesus. But what happened is that different states and even cities decided to change their laws. So depending upon where you live, you know, you smoke a joint in Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama, you can be put in jail for a decade. You know, you can smoke a joint in where I live, uh, you know, next to a cop and he'll (laughs) he'll join you. Exactly. You know, so um, it's very different in different places. And that's what's going to likely happen. But uh, with the FDA, they're going to make it a medically prescribed drug federally. So it'll be even more liberal than marijuana because it will be like. you know, buying any prescription medicine like Lipitor or an antidepressant that if you get a prescription anywhere in the United States, then you're fine. And when does this happen again? The best guess, and it's just a guess, is probably around June of 2024. Wow. That's not that far away. No, it's already happened in uh, Australia and uh, Portugal and uh, some other countries, and it will be happening in America. Just just with ecstasy, not with uh, the other psychedelics. Right. And who will be able to prescribe these? Is certain doctors, like therapists, or would it be a medical doctor? Have they decided that yet? Well, certainly be a medical doctor. They haven't decided whether it will be psychiatrists only or any medical doctor. That's something the FDA has to work out. But um, it's likely, according to Rick Doblin at MAPS, to be any medical doctor. It's taken a two-hour course. Wow. (laughs) Well, the future's looking bright then. And then I'm guessing Merck would be back manufacturing it, right? No, actually, MAPS, the organization that funded this, will be uh, actually uh, the ones who are uh, putting it out there. But does it? it? Does it Merck technically own the patent to it or has the patent expired? The patent has expired. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So coming from maps and I've met those people, they're absolutely amazing over the years. You know, it's going to be exactly what it is, which is what people need. The other impure things that get put into these, it causes distortion in the experience. I feel like. It definitely does. So, um, you know, people sometimes say that they have a big hangover from MDMA. Yes. And studies show that that's usually means that they didn't take MDMA, that they took something that was impure. 
because when they give pure MDMA to uh, people in the studies, they find that they don't have a hangover the next day. Really? So what some people talk about is like a serotonin <laughs> kind of depletion is what they feel. And then the remedy for a lot of people is taking a 5-HTP supplement, the hormone 5-HTP, to kind of compensate that it's a precursor to serotonin. It helps rejuvenate that. But you're saying if you feel that at all, if you feel that grumpy next day hangover, then there was something wrong with that MDMA. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. Um, about 15% of people do feel kind of sad or tired the next day. And and there is a serotonin depletion. Maybe taking 5-HTP is a good idea. In the, in the Ecstasy as Medicine book, <clears throat> excuse me, I talk about eight supplements people can take or things that people can do to uh, mitigate that. Um, so, you know, people are different. Uh, if, if I eat a bunch of ice cream, I'm fine. If my wife does, she feels sick the next day. So, <laughs> you know, not everybody's the same. Yes. And that's something to say I believe that's very important mm -hmm. is that because of people's various mental states and their traumas and their various situations, you really have to be careful when you're utilizing these personally in a way that's not kind of, I don't want to say controlled, but at least observed by friends and family, because it could have a reaction for certain people that, like you talk about in your book, are on SSRIs or MAO inhibitors, or just have unstable brain chemistry. It, it, it could create a situation if they're not careful, but it could also radically heal them. It's just that powerful. Yeah, I, I do have a whole chapter on contraindications uh, with MDMA that people should be aware of. You know, I want to make sure that there's ha great harm reduction. You can abuse anything. When I was um, <clears throat> doing this in the 1980s, the study I originally did, I asked myself, how are people going to abuse this drug? You know, because it seems so, so benign. And uh, the idea that people would take it in all night dance parties <laughs> never occurred to me. I know. I read that. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> now, you know, I, I've been to a rave and they're fun, but using this drug as a, uh, as a dance party drug is like using a laptop as a doorstop. You know, it works, but there's better uses for a laptop and there's better uses for MDMA. Absolutely. It can be an experience enhancer, but there's far more to unlock with it. I know when I go to jam band shows, I love all music scenes and all the different underground scenes. When I go to jam band, kind of Grateful Dead oriented shows, a lot of people love to take ecstasy and they're having a ritualistic spiritual experience there. They actually are getting a lot out of it because like you say in your book, there is a lot of power in ritual and it's so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't want to denigrate the raves because it can be powerful. <laughs> yeah. But but when people take it with me, they often are like surprised, like, wow, I didn't know this could be like a therapy on steroids drug. It never occurred to them that way. But because it opens you up and makes you feel safe and loving, it's uh it's like it's like, you know, if you're doing surgery on somebody, you want an anesthetic. 
And if you're doing psychological surgery, you know, re, re, uh, working through the deep issues, you want an anesthetic that makes it easy. Right. And this is super powerful. And would you say like what you experienced as far as the quality of the substances when it was legal is the same as today. If you find the pure substance, like, is it still just the chemicals, a chemical, or is there some degree of change that's happened over the last 40 years? I think it's the same uh, thing, you know, uh, that it, it worked great in the seventies. It works great now. Of course, set and setting make a substantial impact on how somebody experiences it. So in, in the ecstasy as medicine book, I um, talk a lot about how to create the perfect set and setting so that you have a very high likelihood of having a truly transformative journey. Yes, it is important. You do outline that in your book, but can you give us a couple of ideas of a proper set and setting? Well, having a well-trained guide certainly helps. You know, I've now trained a few hundred people and, you know, it's, uh, you know, I do this course, uh, MDMA facilitator training. If people want to find out about it, it's at mdmatraining.net. And, um, you know, it's, it's 30 hours of material with lots of practice sessions and people get really good at doing this type of therapy. It's, it's, you know, just like if you were a surgeon, you'd want your surgeon to know what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, having a guide really helps if you do it on yourself, it's really hard to dig deep into psychological stuff on yourself. Um, I, I have a lot of experience trying to do that on myself. And I only get mediocre results. So uh, a guide is helpful, but certainly having a comfortable setting where, you know, you're not going to get too hot or too cold, where you have access to the amount of water that you want. You know, some people get into trouble. They dance all night in, in hot weather and they don't drink any water. And that's a recipe for potential disaster. Right. So um, being in a good psychological place, you know, you're, you're, uh, mate didn't just leave you. You don't want that. You want to be, you know, pretty stable. It's nice to have some, uh, a friend nearby in case you want uh company. Um, and, you know, having, uh, some music that you like is possible, you know, in case you want to listen to some music, uh, just being in a decent, safe environment, which is not how a lot of people take it, you know? Absolutely. They just kind of just Take it and say, oh, I hope it goes well, not realizing the psychological power of these substances. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a mental set in the setting. Uh, when people take it in their own home, that, that's a really good situation. Uh, when people take it at a party, maybe the party is going well, maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, they don't have a ride home. That, that obviously is the type of thing you want to avoid. Yes, exactly. Any kind of stress that's going to make you wonder what's going on. You, you should really plan out your situation. Be with friends. Of course, there's so many people listening that are professional psychedelic takers. People have been taking it like yourself for 40 years and never really had a significant problem. They did it in a responsible way. And, and you're even teaching people how to do this. 
Yeah, yeah. But, you know, using it as a therapy tool, it really helps to have someone who is trained in that. And, um, and in fact, when it's made legal, there's going to need to be a lot of people trained to do that. You know, it's, it's like an up and coming career move. Is, uh, <laughs> that's why, that's why I've had a lot of people take my, my training is, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to do to guide people in a transformative experience. Absolutely. And that's happening here in Oregon with psilocybin. Mm -hmm. There's some psilocybin centers that are now opening up. Very similar situation. Really, all you need is a little bit of training and a specific place. You have to have a place to both sell the psilocybin and then a place for people to actually have the experience like couch, you know, beautiful lights, things like that. They have to give them a trip space in order to do this. And that's happening. And the people that are doing it now, you talk about up and coming situations, the people that are doing the psilocybin thing now have a waiting list, thousands yeah. of people long. Right. So once yeah. this starts to take off, it's going to happen in the same way. I was offered a potential situation doing one of these mushroom trip centers, but it's a lot of psychological energy and psychic energy to take on being someone's mushroom shaman. It seems like with ecstasy, the love, the energy, it's so positive that it seems like that would be not necessarily easier, but just like a better flow for people if they're interested in something like this. Yeah, I think um, I get a contact high, which is one of the reasons I like to do it. Uh, I don't take the medicine with them, but um, yeah, I find it <clears throat> fun to, you know, it's very different than mushrooms or psilocybin where uh, people are having a very non-engaged experience with you. You know, I, most of my clients, we're, we're talking back and forth. We're working stuff out. We're doing these therapeutic processes and it's very engaging uh, when you do and that's why I only do MDMA over Zoom. I don't do any psychedelics over Zoom. It would be way too unpredictable. Right, right. Yeah, they could just walk away from the screen and you're like, oh, yeah, he's, right, he's now right. wandering the neighborhood. Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> exactly. Could be Come a little back. <laughs> yes, well, it's functional and it's working and people are happy. They're gaining. And in fact, like you said earlier, you're getting even better results over Zoom. Yeah. So tell me about MDMA versus other types of psychedelic therapy. Now, I know you have a chapter on this in your book, but let's just touch yeah. on this a little bit because there are other powerful psychedelics. You can go down the list, LSD, DMT, ketamine, all of which people are saying have therapeutic effects. But how do you feel like ecstasy is the most beneficial? What makes it unique? And then how do the other therapies compare? Yeah. Well, they're just starting to do these um, different studies. You know, it takes millions of dollars in many years to actually do a really good scientific study on this stuff. But what they've shown is that MDMA is by far the most effective for dealing with trauma. So um, it will get FDA approval specifically for trauma. Um, now, it's also very useful... Uh, in dealing with any psychological issue, but they haven't done those studies as deeply. So they know that it does help with depression. It can help a lot with social isolation. It helps a lot with uh, addictive behavior, um, like alcoholism, things like that. 
whereas psilocybin has mostly been studied as a uh, as a way of dealing with intense depression. And uh, there's some really good studies that show that it's very effective that way, and also end-of-life issues. Uh, then they use, like, ketamine is also very effective for depression. Um, LSD isn't studied that much just because it's it's a 12-hour experience, and that doesn't fit into a therapeutic uh, <laughs> quite as easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, DMT and 5-MeO-DMT um, have been studied very little, uh, but have been shown to be quite effective in easing people's end-of-life issues. And if you've ever had those experiences, you know why. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Because they kind of mimic what would happen. You, you know, go there. You, you go there, people. For people that haven't had that experience, you you actually go into that post-life dimension in a very safe, loving way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as as and then there'll be the whole thing of mixing these drugs. You know, what's called hippie flipping, which is MDMA plus uh LSD. Um, there's candy flipping, which is MDMA plus uh psilocybin you know there's all these different ones and they're just starting to be studied because uh combining them can be useful therapeutically as well absolutely and do you think that the reason that there's a push around ptsd specifically and ways to treat it do you think it's because of all the ptsd cases coming from the military like the like the actual military industrial complex has a desire to not have their soldiers be 40 percent you know carrying ptsd so they're looking for these radical breakthrough medicines to push past that do you think that's a big part of it i think um rick doblin of maps the head of maps uh decided that that would be a good place to start studying just because you had so many veterans killing themselves. Yes. And if you could get um, the veterans on the side of this and it worked for them, that there's a lot of money in the military. So they started to study these things and there was plenty of funding because uh, the various um, veterans who are having PTSD, there was no effective treatment for them. Right. And, uh, they were putting a lot of money into these very ineffective treatments. And then they, you know, gave them uh, MDMA or ecstasy. And they were treating people in a couple of sessions and getting 10 times better results versus treating people in 100 sessions and getting no results. Exactly. And it's all verifiable. This is actual legitimate scientific data hundreds of studies at this point some military studies some government studies some harvard studies you're thinking these ivy league schools it's everywhere yeah, yeah. No, i i my hat's off to rick doblin who had to spend 40 years pushing this boulder uphill god bless but, rick doblin uh, thank you yeah, rick doblin but, uh i talked to him last july uh, just to get up-to-date information, and and it was really a sweet conversation. Uh, you know, he he just wouldn't quit, and uh, you know, we all owe a debt of gratitude to him. Absolutely, the power of persistence. He literally changed reality with his willpower and all the people that helped him by showing us a universal truth that this medicine can heal people in a very profound way. And you think about kind of, 
how the military and kind of the federal government thinks about efficiency and productivity and all of these numbers. So if they can do this one little thing to increase their numbers this certain way, that's how they look at it. They're like, oh, sure, fine, whatever. It's The yeah. funny thing is, is I often wonder if they realize what they're letting out, like that they're opening a Pandora's box. And yes, the healing is going to happen. Of course it's going to happen, but there's also going to be big, profound spiritual revelations that come with that. Well, I don't know if they know about the spiritual revelation. They don't. That's what I'm saying. There has been a lot of blowback. (laughs) I mean, some of the scientists that studied this actually uh, sabotaged the original trials to make it look like MDMA did damage to a person's brain. Yes. So it, it came out that MDMA created holes in your brain and other stuff. And it ends up that it was proven that those trials, they didn't use MDMA. They used massive amounts of methamphetamine. And uh, so all these articles showing that MDMA was dangerous had to be retracted. Of course, when they were retracted, <laughs> Uh, it wasn't in the media quite the way it was that they did damage to people. But there was a lot of sabotage in the trials and um, a lot of forces working against it. So it took uh, millions of dollars and, and 40 years to actually get the science right. Yes, I think that has to do with whatever agendas that are out there that are related to the suppression of consciousness, the suppression of enlightenment for whatever reason, whatever those forces are they were probably working to sabotage that because they do know because the CIA, the FBI, all of these organizations have been experimenting with these substances, not necessarily MDMA, but other psychedelics. You know, you think of the MK ultra program and other things like that. So they do have some data to show that in the spectrum of all the psychedelic drugs, they all have some component for spiritual growth and activating spiritual awareness. Yeah. Maybe it just took some of those people dying off <laughs> for, for things to kind of finally shift. It might be, you know, my, my, my uh, parents uh, always wondered why I was into spiritual stuff. And I told them, you know, there is a drug you can take that kind of mimics the state of peace and love I'm after. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm studying this drug. And they said to me, to my surprise, uh, can we try that? And, you know, they're, they were pretty conservative. <clears throat> I said, well, yeah, okay. You know, I can get you some of that. So I got them a couple of pills and told them how to set up a good set and setting. Well, a year later, I asked them if they'd taken it. And they said that they had. And I was, of course, very curious. I said, what happened? And they said, nothing happened. I go, really? Like, no, tell me exactly the setup here. And they said, well, we took the drug and we waited like 15 minutes and nothing happened. <clears throat> well, it ends up it takes about 45 minutes for this drug to take effect. Well, I said, well, what'd you do after the drug didn't take effect? And they said, well, interestingly enough, we ended up having one of the best nights of our 40-year marriage. We cuddled on the couch and we <laughs> talked about how much we loved each other and loved our lives. And, you know, even though the drug didn't take effect, it ended up being a spectacular night. You know, <laughs> they didn't know that's exactly what the drug did. Wow. Well, it's kind of cool because it kind of lends itself to the mm-hmm. idea that they were kind of already in that frequency. 
And they, 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 like they were already there and the, the ecstasy boosted it a little bit, but in a way they could have already been there. Very strange. Yeah. Well, I asked them, had, when was the last time you did that? And they said, Oh, we'd never done that before. It was so beautiful. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. And that's the change that we're talking about. It's a frequency shift. They found that love, that power. And that's what this substance can unlock. But again, it is a powerful substance. So we're talking about this. You have to be so prudent about how you procure it and all of those other methods when you, the set, the setting, when you're doing it. One of the things I like about that drug is um, unlike psilocybin or LSD, you know, you're on a drug. I mean, that, that you're having hallucinations or whatever uh, on MDMA or ecstasy. It really more feels like the best, most loving, most peaceful you've ever been. It doesn't necessarily feel like you're on a drug. And that's why my parents didn't know that they were that the drug was having that effect. They just said, oh, we just, you know, love each other and let's cuddle and let's talk about our lives. And I appreciate that, which makes the learnings on MDMA a little bit easier to transfer into one's life because it's not an otherworldly experience. It's a this world just without all the anxiety, without all the self-criticism, without all the obstacles to feeling your own heart. Ah, oh, man, it removes the boundaries from your heart. It pushes <clears throat> away those paradigm-based filters that you're processing all this energy and information through and just shows you yourself and love. And you're loving yourself. You're loving everything. That's the truth. You're in truth at that moment. Yeah, actually, I, re I remember a friend of mine said, I didn't feel like the ecstasy was a drug. I felt like I'd been drugged the rest of my life and this took me off the drug. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Because that hyper awareness, what a lot of people are now calling meta awareness, that's what happens. You tap into meta awareness through your heart chakra. I'm not sure, but that's definitely a part of it. Would you say energetically that this really opened your heart chakra super, super wide? Yeah, it definitely feels that way. And, and once you've had a glimpse of that, then it motivates you to ask, how can I have that more often? Right. Because this substance is a catalyst, but it's not the only way to get there. You can, through meditation, exercise, and other trainings, activate the compounds that are within you to have that same experience. Yeah, absolutely. And there's very simple methods I use also to uh, bring that open heartedness. like. Uh, there used to be a, a, a coworker that I didn't like, very annoying, difficult person. And I came up with a phrase, it must be really hard being them. And that helped me feel compassion for them. You know, little helpers like that can really be useful. Or um, you know, Jesus created a phrase, you know, uh, he was up on a cross being tortured and he said, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, that's also a phrase to to not uh, carry around a bunch of animosity towards people. So you got to find your own way into your heart and ecstasy will help show you your heart. And then you want to figure out what little methods, meditations, tricks, uh, songs, whatever can help you to get back there without the medicine. 
Right. Wow. And what do you say to people that feel like you should only do that substance, even in its absolute most purest form, that you should only do that at most once a month because of the toll it takes on your physical body? Do you agree with that statement? Is that based on old data or what do you think? No, I think that's a good uh, thing. If you take, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, every drug can be abused, but it ends up if you take this drug more than once a month, it stops having an effect. So it's smart not to take it more than once a month. I, I suggest people maybe take it seasonally, like, you know, up to four times a year. And that's, um, that's your baseline and- recommendation, you feel like? Yeah. Now, physiologically, it takes the brain about two weeks to fully re-supply um, the serotonin that is kind of dumped during the ecstasy experience. So uh, it's definitely not a good idea to take it more than every two weeks. There are people I know that do take it consecutive days in a row. They'll go see some concerts and feel like they want to enhance their experience in that way. And they'll go on week long, uh, I guess, binges at that point, like doing every day. I tried to warn these people be like, Hey, you know, this is something, you know, switch it up. There's so many plant medicines out there, like switch it up, do something different. But a lot of people still persist thinking they're just like, I don't know, like able to compensate somehow. Well, the brain does eventually um, heal itself, but what they'll probably find is that uh, the MDMA has less and less effect. Right. And that's uh, that's your brain saying to you, hey, idiot, stop giving me so much of this. <laughs> you talk about in your book, and you've talked about this earlier, how you can combine this with other substances, the candy flipping, hippie flipping, kitty flipping. <laughs> but one that I noticed was not in your book was MDMA and DMT together. Now, uh-huh. is this something you've ever tried? Because I'd like to tell you my experiences with it if you have not. Um, I've tried it about three times. And uh, I found that it actually lessened the uh, effect. You know, you take 5-MeO-DMT or DMT by itself, it's a quite a rocket ship ride. Um, I found it kind of not that not that interesting or less interesting than I thought it would be. There's also some contraindications that they don't combine well physically. I didn't have a problem with that, but that is something I have read and I don't, I'd be curious about your experience. I've only done it once, but what happened was when I've had previous DMT experiences, when you go into that dimension, you don't feel anxiety but there's definitely like a holy shit when you kind of this awareness, yeah, this like yeah. greater awareness. And what I found is that those overwhelming feelings were, you know, somehow throttled a bit. And I was able to lean into the DMT experience a little bit more. Hmm, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'd like to know more about people doing that because there's not a lot of research about it. And, um, you know, everybody has different reactions to these things. You got to find the medicine that works the best for you and what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. But it seems right now at this 
period in human development, we need to open our hearts more than ever. We need to love each other more than ever. We need to connect from that place literally more than ever. Amen. I can't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what other things would you like us to know about this that we haven't touched on yet? Because the legality again is blossoming. The stigmas are going away. The energy around it is shifting. The healing is coming forward. What are some other things you'd like us to know? Well, in the book, you know, I do cover things like uh, contraindications, like really, if you take it with antidepressants, uh, you might not have much effect. And there's a way to slowly wean off of antidepressants. There's a whole uh, regimen for that. Um, and other medications, some medications don't go well together. So the more informed people are, the better. Um, also, you know, in, when it comes to couples therapy, you know, most couples now are having a hard time. And uh, I say that the only thing holding a lot of couples, their uh, couples together is Netflix, you know? <laughs> um so, you know, I did a book called Communication Miracles for Couples, and Oprah really liked it, so it became a bestseller. So I've seen a lot of couples, and I see a lot of couples doing this therapy. And um, couples therapy tends to go slow. You got to get the both partners to let go of blaming and shaming and complaining, and that can take a year. Um, with MDMA, it happens in about seven minutes. and then you can really look at what are the issues there that are causing the trouble and what can we do to solve them? That is not what couples normally do in therapy. They come to me acting like I'm the judge and I hear both sides. I'm going to call one of them guilty and one of them innocent. Of course, I never do that. But on MDMA, people can let go of their blaming and they can rationally say, be vulnerable and say, this is what I need. This is what's going on. I can help them with their communication. And they come out a different couple than when they come in. Right. It's that breakthrough medicine. And wasn't it just designated a breakthrough medicine recently by the FDA? Well, that was 2017 that yes. they did that, which allowed them to do some of the studies they're doing now. Um, but recently, Rick Doblin of MAPS asked me to start a study on the effects of MDMA on couples therapy and to document the effects. So uh, that's, that's ongoing. Wow. That's amazing. So why do you think <clears throat> there's more friction between couples now more than ever? Is it just the energy of the world, the state of the world? Why is that in your opinion? Um, well, until about 70, uh, until about 2000 years ago, there was only one job opening for men. You know what the job opening was? Hunter. Yeah, murder. Because uh, half of people before 2000 years ago were murdered by other people. Right. <laughs> you know, murder wasn't something you watched on TV. It was like happening all around you. You know, you murder the other tribe because there's no, so, only a little bit of food. And then, of course, you're murdering animals. Well, murderers. Um, don't make really good relationship partners for some reason. Uh, you know, they're just not empathetic. They don't you know, know about their feelings. I, I never would have so, guessed that. 
So men have have 400,000 years of DNA telling them that they should be successful murderers. Then about 70 years ago, women decided, oh, we, we're good financially. We don't need a murderer to keep us alive, to protect us. We'd like you to understand us and share in our feelings and our emotions and our connection and our intimacy, which is a beautiful desire. But men are not trained in that. So most women are somewhat upset that men aren't don't have this capacity much. Uh, so we're not trained in how to communicate. And um, men don't understand women. Women don't understand men. And we're trying to have these not uh, five-year relationships like we used to. You know, most people were dead by the time they were 25, right. <laughs> historically. You know, so, you know, I can, I can spend five years with this person, especially if my life depends on it. But now, can I spend 60 years with this person, you know, and my life doesn't depend on it? That's a hard ask. So, um, it's, it's a challenging time for most relationships because we're in a completely new territory. Wow. I never thought of it that way. It is truly a new paradigm that contradicts or at least is in dissonance with our cellular memory and our ancestral memory, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if, if I was, if, if you're a pilot uh, and you've been trained for an hour to land a plane, you might be able to land a plane, but if you haven't been trained for an hour and the pilot dies, you're going to crash. Right. Well, most people have not been trained for even a single hour on how to have a good relationship. And it's a skill like anything else. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of intricacies. And, you know, I wrote this book, Communication Miracles for Couples. It became a bestseller um, in which I go into a lot of detail about what is needed to learn how to communicate with this separate species. You know, I'm a guy. Women are, they're not like slightly screwed up men. They're a completely different species. It's a different frequency. And, it's a different energy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you look at like bulls and, and cows, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, they're a lot alike. You know, you can t go up to a cow and punch in the nose and it'll do nothing. You punch a, a, a bull in the nose and you'll be dead. <laughs> there are fundamental energetic differences and hormonal differences. It's just a different human yet we are supposed to unite that divine god and goddess energy to create life we have to live copacetically and it seems like these therapies are here to help with that yeah and um learning how to speak your partner's language learning how to create intimacy you know the in the word intimacy instructions are there into me see but we're not taught how to be vulnerable and how to work out problems. And when I give a cup or when a couple takes the MDMA medicine, um, I teach them these skills. They listen to the recording and they see, wow, we've had this issue about money for 30 years that we've spent 10 hours a week arguing about. And he solved it in seven minutes. You know, that's the level of efficiency you get when you have the right method and the right medicine.
Absolutely. And that's why you're writing this book. That's why you're trying to get this information out there. And you can see that it's spreading actually worldwide. But if people want this therapy, they're listening to this, they're having these struggles with their partners and they, they want this therapy. It, for the most part, depending on the state that they live in, at least in the U.S., it's difficult to just go to your therapist and say, I would like to have this MDMA session. So really, it's just about seeking out people like yourself for now to make those things happen, right? So if somebody's interested, they actually have to seek you out directly. Yeah, well, I have a website, xtcasmedicine.com. And when people email me, uh, either I can potentially help them, although I do have a waiting list, or I have a list of people I've trained in this uh, type of therapy, and I send them that referral oh. list, and uh, they can uh, work with either me or anyone on that list who has been through a lot of training. So this list, is it nationwide, worldwide? It's worldwide. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so people can connect with the practitioner that's in their area through you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. They, that's amazing. They have different... They have different specialties, some focus on sexual stuff, some focus on couple stuff, some focus on trauma. And uh, and I know all of these people quite well. I know that they're very competent and um, they get to read about them and then, you know, uh, email them and set something up if they want. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That is super cool. <laughs> We've had an incredible conversation, Jonathan. We've told people about this and we told people about your book, but I want to just touch on one more point before we go, which I feel like is the most important point. And I'd like you to talk about this a little bit. And we did touch on this a little bit earlier is the spiritual growth component and aspect that comes from this experience. Yes. Relationships heal. Yes, trauma heals. All of these things happen, but there's more. There's a spiritual expansion, a spiritual awareness expansion, and you can even connect with the divine in a very deep way. Tell me about the spiritual component with this and tell me about your experiences with it. Uh-huh. Well, as you know, Jake, I uh, have interviewed a hundred spiritual leaders and been very focused on spirituality. Um, but it, even after all those years, it took me, you know, 30, 40 minutes of meditation before I could end up in an open-hearted, really peaceful place. But once I was on MDMA, I took notes as to what was going on in my body and my mind to help me open up to this wonderful experience. And it was like a breadcrumb trail back to that experience. And now instead of it taking, you know, 40 minutes of meditation, it takes me about 20 seconds to open up to that love and peace and joy. <sighs> and um, it, it's something that I can help other people with that I ask them a lot of questions to get real detailed information as to what is their unique recipe for creating the experience of overwhelming love. And then they practice that, and usually uh, they can get pretty amazing results in a short period of time. You know, I spirituality can be called different things, but for me, it's your capacity to open to love, peace, and joy quickly. If I can help somebody do that and uh, cut down their hour meditation to you know twenty seconds, 
then that totally impacts every aspect of their life. Yes, because in that experience, it seems like you can tap into that overwhelmingness of love, lock into that frequency, and then it's permanently embedded in your consciousness. So when you go into these meditative states, you just flip a light switch. You're like, hey, I'm yeah. back. I don't need the substance. I know what that experience is. It's embedded in my consciousness. It's in my DNA now. And here I am. You flip the switch and you're there. That's another yeah. component of it that's so powerful. Yeah. In fact, you know, I was with some friends uh, over Thanksgiving doing a group MDMA experience. And uh, I talked about this and we all had our, our MDMA and we were all so high before we took it that we decided, you know, we don't need this. We're there. <laughs> it's something about the frequency of it. I've heard that even thinking about concepts sometimes triggers synaptic firings related to that. Perhaps you all activated that within each other on Thanksgiving. What a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, again, Jonathan, what a conversation we've had. Incredible flow. We've talked about so much. I want to tell people where to find you. We've talked about it before. We'll say it again. Ecstasy as medicine. Now I want to spell this because this is X T C as a S medicine, M E D I C I N E X T C as medicine.com. You can go there, learn about what Jonathan is about. The things that he's talked about on this episode, the different trainings, the different books that he has, it's all available there, or it will point you in the direction to where that is. And, and people can also, if they want to know about that, they can go to mdmatraining.net. Uh, covers all that as well. Okay, fantastic. And yes, the podcast, we love podcasts here. Awareness Explorers, definitely check that out. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for being here. Is there anything else we'd like to leave our audience with before we go? Uh, may they experience much ecstasy in 2024. Yes, and beyond. Thank you again for being here, Jonathan. Thank you, Jake. Okay, please hold through the outro music. Incredible episode, everyone. Think about this. The future is so bright. Look what's coming. Consciousness expansion. These substances are going to help humanity heal and love each other more. It's going to be amazing. This is powerful. Check out the website. Check out the book. Check out everything Jonathan Robinson is about. And we will see you next week. Midnight on Earth.